Welcome to episode 27 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary in beautiful Winona Lake, Indiana. Mm, beautiful Winona Lake, Indiana. By my good friend and now my extended partner in the podcasting empire we call the Various and Sundry podcast, the one, the only, John Sloat. Doc, how we doing? Well, this is a little unusual. I feel a little discombobulated. We're, we're making some history here. So normally, the way things work is we record on Tuesday, yes. and, and we post almost immediately yeah. the podcast. However, today is Thursday, uh, J- J- July 2? 2? Two? Two? Yeah. Second, yeah. Um, and the reason for that is you're, you're going on vacation next week, so we want to get one in the can here, uh, ready to air. We don't want to let listeners down. That's um, right. We we feel a deep responsibility to our listeners, and and can we marvel a little bit that if I looked you in the eye in January and said when we start this podcast you and I will essentially be in the same place every Tuesday for six months? Yeah, would you have believed it? No, I probably would have thought what manner of crazy circumstances would have to happen in order for that to actually take place. And none of us could have predicted, obviously, I don't know, a global pandemic or something. No, I, I did not have <laughs> coronavirus uh, sweeps across the world on my bingo card. No, no, no. no. But we, we are now officially starting the second half of 2020, both on the calendar and from our episodes here. Yeah. And what a year it's been. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel like we've experienced more in the last six months than is typical for like a decade as opposed to— you Or know. a lifetime. <laughs> so anyway, we we do appreciate the fact that you, our loyal listeners, have continued to uh, download the podcast and that our, our, our media empire is slowly but surely expanding out. Consistent. We have, we have regular listeners in France and Ireland. We do. Which we is do. very, very exciting. Yes. So shout out to them. Thank you for your, uh, for your faithfulness to the podcast. And um, I don't know how well this podcast really sort of translates into the French or Irish cultures, but we'll roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and where are you going on vacation? Some beach in Florida or <laughs> a cruise? Like, what's, what's the plan yeah. for, for Matt Harmon and his illustrious vacation? Yes, yes. Well, um, since, the, uh, since the private plane that Grace has is not available, I will be driving, yes. <laughs> driving with the family out to the well-known vacation destination of Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. Omaha. Yeah. We, we pulled out all the stops this year. Well, college baseball world's... Oh, that's oh, never in, mind. Yeah. That's in Omaha. That is, and that's that's sadly not happening. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, so my brother-in-law is um, retiring from the military as a full bird colonel, and he's been in, I think, 26 years. Okay. And so we're going out to celebrate that, even though we can't actually go to the ceremony itself because of COVID stuff. But it's a big family milestone, and we'll celebrate that. We'll celebrate our son, John, graduating from Grace. Yeah. Our nephew, Daniel, graduating from high school. And um, my other nephew, Will, got his Eagle Scout. Oh, nice. So, you know, there's there's all sorts of family. So one party to rule them all there. Oh, huh? yes. Yeah. And also we can throw in 
My nephew Daniel's birthday is July 6th. My birthday is later in the month, along with my nephew Will. So we're just going to throw yeah. it all in one big party. And now, do you do one cake for all those, or do you do multiple cakes? How does this is su- this may surprise you, but I am not privy to any of those details. What? Yeah. I thought you were the cake I, baker. I, I, I am not. Hmm. I am not. Okay. So we we do uh, want to encourage our listeners to connect with us. We uh, can be reached on Twitter at VNS Pod. We can also be reached by email, various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. And then we also have a Facebook page for various and sundry podcast. And we do have one new review since we last recorded. Two days ago we recorded. Yeah. So yeah. they're, they're so, coming in hot. Yes, yes. So we are grateful for that. If you would like to be one of those people, which we encourage you to be one of those people. Yeah. Go ahead and leave us a review and a five-star rating would always be appreciated. And if you have something, you know, negative or maybe just put it as constructive criticism, maybe shoot us an email, hit us up on Twitter, throw it on a Facebook, but don't do it on the... Uh, don't do on, it on the podcast app. Yeah, no. don't do that. Don't um, do and on any of those, you can shoot us a question. We're hoping in the future the nebulous future that's out there somewhere to, to do a Q and a uh, episode where yes. we take listener questions and work through those and interact yes. over those. Um, so and, yeah. So hit us up on Facebook and we'll do some promotion here on social media. Maybe, yes. maybe even tomorrow. So before this even drops, we, we might do a little bit. Yeah. Of, we uh, just, promotion just, that. just to be clear in order for the question and answer episode to happen and to work there must be questions you as listeners must submit questions that's kind of how it works you give the questions we supply the answers so it's a partnership together so hit us up and th- those those questions can be far ranging of course we will be filtering through them you know we're not going to just let any and all through but um you know, if you want to hit us up with a question about sports, if you want to hit us up, uh, hit, up, hit us up with a question about theology, about Bible, ministry, culture, you know, throw it out there. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, uh, Doc, so today marks our first foray into reading a book with our listeners. Uh, yes, finally. We've, we've, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Once Amazon recovered from our listeners buying it, you know, we've, yeah. Which they actually still haven't. Like, I, yeah. I still don't think it's available. We broke Amazon. We broke I, Amazon. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, Jeff Bezos sent me a personal email thanking <laughs> us for our endorsement of the book. Um, but uh, but, but we've, we've, we've read the first eight chapters, Gentle and Lowly, yes. uh, by Dane Ortland. Um, and we've, we've announced at this point that we will interview Dane uh, here in the coming weeks. So we're excited about that. So read along with us. Yes. Um, we're not going to do a blow-by-blow, chapter-by-chapter no. Here's what stuck out to us. Here's uh, here's a great nugget in each of these chapters. Mm-hmm. But general impressions. What, what what are some things that are sticking out to you uh, as you're reading through the book? Yes. So I I think that um, I'll start with the the, the big picture. General, um, I have absolutely loved this book so far, hmm. and um, I would go so far as to say. This has been the most enjoyable sort of uh, devotional slash Christian life book that I have read in recent memory. Hmm. Like I'm hard pressed to come up with a book that I've enjoyed this much, and has been this um, 
rich and um, enjoyable and challenging and even moving, soul-stirring moving at points in terms of just reflecting on what um, what's in the book. So that those are some of my general and impressions. You, you and I were even talking before we went on pod that that it's it's hard to read and come across some of the passages in here and just without without something of a mist gathering in your eye. Yeah. You know, it's 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 tough to read without going, oh my goodness, the beauty of this is mm-hmm. it's marvelous. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, so beyond some of those general impressions any anything in particular that you want to highlight from these first eight chapters that caught your attention or was especially challenging, encouraging, convicting? Yeah, uh, there there was a, a number of things, um, but but I'll I'll start with this. He really steeps himself uh, in the Puritans, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're not familiar with that particular movement, it's, it started in Europe or started in England, right? Made its way uh, uh, to the thirteen colonies. Um, people like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, but he he really steeps himself in a fellow named Thomas Goodwin. Yep. Um, and I think even the title of the book is a bit of an homage to Thomas Goodwin. He has I believe a, that's correct. Yes. Thomas Goodwin has a book called The Heart of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know reading through uh, Dane's work here caused me to even go pick up that book and thumb through it a little bit and read some of the passages in it. Uh, and uh, and. He, he doesn't just rely on him. He's also looking at John Bunyan, John yeah. Owen. It seems like he leaned on those three pretty heavily through mm-hmm. the first part here. Um, but yeah, just, just revisiting those. And a lot of his writing feels like an updated Puritan work in yes. a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think that in some regards, this is a beautiful example of what has come to be called in some circles uh, sort of theological retrieval. Hmm. In other words, going back into our history and sort of going through and pulling out things, whether it's writers or doctrines or descriptions of things that have been neglected or are neglected in our current context. And part of the beauty of what Dane does with this book is he, he makes these writers who, because of their time frame, might otherwise seem a little inaccessible, in yeah. particular because of the language and the style of writing. In fact, there was one place, I may not be able to find it on, on the fly here, where he refers to one of the Puritans, uh, what, what he says here as, um, this is, I think it was Bunyan, like this is Bunyan's clunky way of saying this. And then he gives like a, <laughs> a direct summary of, of of that, which I appreciated because, you know, the Puritans can be really challenging to read their way through. And um, I, I appreciate that he can acknowledge, yeah, the the Puritans can can say things in their sort of King James-ish language that otherwise might not land with us, that he's figured out ways to put in more contemporary expressions. Yeah. Um, I, I very much thought that when uh, I was reading the John Bunyan passage, I will in no wise cast out. Yeah, from John six thirty seven. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was uh, that was. I was like, oh my goodness! And so I had to read a try to piece together. Okay, what does that mean? You know. So. Yeah, I mean that that section there in this is in chapter. Oh, what is this here? This is chapter six. I will never cast out, which mm-hmm. is. 
you know, the the modern English way of essentially saying, you know, what what Bunyan's trying to get at. But that that section about uh, on John Bunyan, if you're not familiar, John Bunyan wrote the uh, classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress, which mm-hmm. is the best-selling book in English in human history other than the Bible in terms of just pure number of copies sold. And I believe wrote from prison as well? He did. He did. Yeah. And that's one of my wife's favorite books uh, all time is Pilgrim's Progress. She loves teaching it in her class at uh, at, at, at her school. And so um, – but he mentions a book in here by Bunyan that I was not familiar with that's called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And uh, just a great reflection on Christ's willingness and eagerness to receive sinners. Hmm. And I think for me that's been one of those – realities that um, that has been deeply encouraging and, and refreshing in terms of I, I think many of us as Christians can fall into this trap where we think Jesus begrudgingly forgives sinners yeah in a sort of well I've said I would and I guess I have to but you know th- with this sort of begrudging attitude he does it and part of what Dane does so well here is, he helps you see from Scripture that that's not the case, that he delights to forgive. He delights to show grace and mercy, which is one of those things that I know for me, when I when I stop to think about that, I have to pause. And I think, is that really true? Because that doesn't line up with what I would naturally think. Yeah, and I think we have a tendency to put our own feelings onto Jesus where yes. we really hate forgiving others. I mean, I mean, really, if we get to the core of our motivation and mm-hmm. how we feel about things, we really dislike forgiving others. Yeah. And therefore, we put that on Jesus. But I think Dane makes an excellent case, particularly through the first few chapters, that at the heart of who Jesus is, um, he delights in being able to Forgive and restore, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and 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 that should be very very encouraging to every sinner, right? Yeah, and that that actually resonates with. He, Dane doesn't make this point, but my guess is that he would affirm this to be sure. Um, is when you think about it in the Old Testament, in Exodus uh, thirty four, when. God passes before Moses and says, you can't see my glory, but I'll pass by you, and you can see the backside, and I'll proclaim my name before you. Mm -hmm. And at the heart of what he says there is, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Hmm. And, And this idea that at the heart of who God is, is grace and mercy, is is this delight in forgiving. And obviously, you know, that can be misunderstood and, and mis- misapplied. But when you stop to think about it, the fact that God delights to forgive, that yeah. it's at the core of who he is, that he he's not begrudging in that is just deeply encouraging. And um, I'm just grateful that Dane helped me remember that by, by this really helpful book. Yeah, it's been it's been a joy to read thus far, so far, and um, I'm not sure I've ever thought about the particular heart of Christ mm-hmm. as, as specifically as as he does here. So I'm right. I'm excited to read the rest of it and and see what Dane has to say. And I think this is one of those books where I will want to come back to it again, mm-hmm. and then maybe again, 
that you know now you and I are kind of reading through it somewhat quickly just to be able to discuss the chunks of it. Oh yeah. But I I can definitely envision myself wanting to go back and and read more slowly, read more reflectively, more meditatively. And this is one of those rare um, books in terms of sort of devotional slash Christian life books that um, I can see wanting to read repeatedly. A lot of books you end up reading, you're like, I read it once, I got what I needed. Yeah. And they're not necessarily forgettable, but they're not something you're like, I don't need to go back to that. I got it. Yeah, if you make some bullet point notes in the back of the book about what it is, you can go consult yeah. those. But yeah, for the most part, you you can let it go. But this one, I, I think you're right. I think coming back to this every every few years uh, could, could be a really excellent discipline. Absolutely. And I've even thought, is there... Um, is there a way that we can get this in the hands of our students here, our blended students here at, at, at Grace? Is there some way that we can do that? Well, it's not Amazon, you know. <laughs> it's definitely not Amazon. But, you know, we do have our, we have our mentor groups. And, you know, this could be something where it wouldn't be a burden to ask a student, you can read a six-page chapter for this week as, oh, yeah. as, the, as the starting point for our conversation. I, I know I always, I always get hesitant because they're already bombarded with a lot of reading sure. to say, well, actually for our mentor groups now, we want you to read another thing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want that to, to be the case, but this would be something where I'd consider making an exception because it's so readable and so helpful. Yeah. And so, so joyful. Um, it is. To, to get through it. it is. Um, I don't, the book is wonderful. We could talk about it probably for the remainder of the podcast, but we have, we have other things to talk about. We do. We got to move on because this is part two of our discussion of the kingdom of God and social justice. And while the previous episode focused more on the kingdom of God piece, trying to get a good biblical and theological foundation, yeah. now we're going to talk more about social justice yeah. in and this episode. If you're sitting there on pins and needles hoping, okay, I'm excited for them to dive into this topic or that topic or this topic <laughs> or that topic, I, I frankly don't think we're going to go there, at least... Um, it's not the plan. Not the, not the plan of where we're going. If we, if we do, you know, who who knows what will happen. Remember but the first rule of the podcast. Don't get fired. Don't get fired. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> with that, uh, let, let's talk about that term social justice. Um, I think, goodness, I think it was, it was kind of a fringe term uh, that I heard here and there uh, until probably seminary. And then I began to hear the term social justice maybe a little bit more. And today it feels like it's hard to go anywhere without hearing the term social justice. Yeah. So as, as a PhD in New Testament, what are we talking about when we say the term social justice? Well, sadly, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could give you a sort of clear definition that, that a wide range of people would, would listen to and go, yeah, that seems right. Because – there's not really an agreed-upon definition of social justice. And when I've taught on this material before in the classroom, I've done um, – I've got like 10 or 12 slides of different definitions of social justice that are so completely across the board different that it's hard to come to a conclusion of there's a kind of stable meaning yeah. to this expression. So some are using this expression as a social justice essentially means the equality of outcomes that we redistribute wealth and we complete this utopia, utopia here on earth. Mm-hmm. And others are using it more in terms of 
making sure that people are treated fairly and that there's equity in law and policy and such that, um, you know, that's a little bit more of a restrained use of social justice. And that's part of the challenge of even talking about this topic is we, we can't even agree on what a definition is. Yeah, yeah. That's why we named the podcast episode Social Justice, right? Uh, <laughs> because we don't know what it is. Um, but I, I think it's important to point out at this point that justice is a biblical idea. Justice is. Yeah. Justice is a biblical idea. Um, God is just, right? Yes. Uh, now, there, there are elements of God that are, that are, that are unjust toward sinners, like us, right? Where, where we, we, where I don't we, know that I would use the word unjust. Being provocative. Um, <laughs> the, where, 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 where God does, does not ultimately give us what we deserve, uh, but instead puts that on Jesus, right? Yes. Um, so justice is still satisfied. Correct, correct. It's but, just not directed at us. Yes, yes. Um, so, but, but the larger point here. Yeah. Justice is a biblical idea. Absolutely. And um, I think it's important to emphasize here in that, in that vein that the Bible is very clear. Perfect and ultimate justice will only be accomplished by God himself mm-hmm. and only on the last day. We will never achieve a society or culture here on this fallen world where justice is perfectly executed all the time. We live in a fallen world. We live in a place where... We don't, and, and since we're not God, we don't have access to, an, uh, we don't have an omniscient knowledge of everything that happens, mm-hmm. heart motivations and such. And so there are plenty of examples of injustice in this world, right? I mean, that's, that's part of what has caused current sort of social unrest, well, that and- there are obvious examples of injustice where people are not being treated fairly or rightly, based even on human laws, let alone divine laws. And it's one of the ways we know that God's kingdom is not fully here yet, right? Right. right? There is injustice in our world. There is uh, wars in our world. There, there are terrible things that happen. There are people who get wrongly convicted for crimes they didn't commit. There are people who commit crimes who are never actually convicted yeah. of those crimes. And so the those things are going to be a continuous part of our experience of life in this fallen world. However, <laughs> and this is where there's the, the, the big caveat, that in no way justifies us being content with or indifferent to injustice right. in this world. That, that should not be a sort of fallback position of, well, you know what? There's always going to be injustice. There's always going to be mistakes in the legal system. There's always going to be people who are mistreated or treated unfairly on based on socioeconomic background, based on their race, based on those sorts of things. Yes, absolutely. That's going to happen in this world. But that doesn't mean that it gives us a pass from trying to do what we can to try to address mm-hmm. injustice in this fallen world. Right. Now the question is, where where do we <laughs> how much how much justice do we go for in this world how much do we uh, do we expect not to see justice happen you know right and I think that's a lot of where the conversation goes and I I don't think we're going to solve that nope. here on the podcast not at all um, but we but we do have some ideas and thoughts that that you really go through in class about things yeah. things that prompt discussion 
Right. Uh, before we get to that, yeah. I, I do want to make w- one more point before we start talking about these. Um, is that um, I think here this is where we need to think through carefully the difference between um, what we as individuals can do mm-hmm. and at times we might even say should do to address injustice or to help make a better community sure and what the church must do or should do or can do because i think sometimes in these conversations you'll get these kinds of statements of well the church should be you know helping to end poverty in their community mm-hmm. or should be providing job training or they should be providing food for the poor or like fill in the blank with your preferred social issue mm-hmm. and i think we need to be careful to say the church doesn't have to do any of those things that's not the mission of the church the mission of the church is to preach the gospel and to make disciples now as an outworking of that reality the church has the freedom to engage in some of those kinds of activities if they so choose. And I think that's different even on the individual level as well to say, I as an individual want to be involved in this particular area of social engagement. That doesn't mean that your church has to, as a program or as a whole, has to get on board and say, absolutely, we're going to throw money at this. We're going to create a program. We're going to preach about this. They're not the church as a body is not obligated to do that, and in fact, can actually get sidetracked if that becomes the focus of what they end up doing. So I think that distinction is important in terms of what an individual can and should be involved sure. in as a believer versus what the corporate body of the church must be engaged in. So with that in view, I think we can. sure and a, a great book on the church's mission. Uh, uh, what is the mission of the church by mm-hmm. Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung, I yep, believe. That's correct. It's a wonderful read, um, really, really helpful, um, really excellent book that we'd commend. Yep, good stuff. Um, so we, we do have uh, 10, uh, we call them theses here, but but conversation <laughs> starters, th- things to. I mean, they're not 95. About. I'm not Martin Luther. But yeah, and you didn't nail them to I anything. You didn't nail them a, to any doors. You put them on a PowerPoint slide. Yeah. Um, that, which, which feels a be, little less dramatic, but a little less dramatic, <laughs> but maybe even a modern equivalent. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we're we're gonna we're gonna post these on Facebook. Uh, but we we want to talk through. I, I think we have three or four outlined, and some of them are closely related, and so we'll deal with a couple of them together. But um, overall, we're gonna post these uh, all. We're gonna post all ten on Facebook, and, yeah. and we'd love to hear your conversation about it. We'd love to hear you discuss a little bit more. Um, with civility and kindness and generosity towards sure. others in, the, in those in those groups, and I'll just clarify: I, I, I wrote these probably eight or ten years ago, so th- these are not specific to current cultural contexts. That they are intended to create the larger framework for a helpful discussion, even about specific issues. So this is not here is a solution to our current problems in this area, whether it's poverty or racial relations or whatever else it might be. It's what are what are some things that we must make sure that we keep in mind as we engage on specific issues? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, very good. So let's, let's, let's dive in. Your, your first one here um, is a very simple sentence. Uh, we must learn from church history. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a good starting point for a lot of conversations. Yeah. So when you say we must learn from church history, what, what do you specifically have in mind? Well, first at the general level, I think we need to recognize that this is not the first time in the history of the church that these issues have been wrestled with, Mm -hmm. whether on the big picture of how we engage culture or even on specifics of what do we do about specific pieces of cultural engagement on topics, that there have been oftentimes many different periods within the history of the church that this issue has come up and been addressed and been and been discussed and reflected on and debated, and that oftentimes those insights can provide a lot of helpful, both uh, positive things of this is, these are some things we should do, and mm-hmm. also some negative examples of these are some things we should avoid. Yeah, it, wisdom will come out of those things for sure. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, and I, I think in particular, not to not to say that this is the only period of church history where this can be helpful, but when you know a little bit of the church church's history from, say, the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, there was an entire social gospel movement, which basically said— So we're, we're talking— Late 1800s. Late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. Okay, okay. That um, we need to stop talking so much about— doctrine or even just about sort of spiritual salvation. Mm-hmm. And instead, we need to focus on how we can create better communities in this world, in this life. Mm-hmm. And so there was this strong shift from a proclamation of the gospel of how a person gets right with God to how do we make a better community? And so that came to be known as kind of the social gospel movement. And I would say that originally it started from good impulses mm-hmm. of wanting to see the gospel itself take root and transform people. Mm-hmm. However, what happened very quickly in that movement is that the gospel was lost, and it just became a sort of community improvement project that um, focused very much on making life in this world better and neglecting any sort of grounding in the uh, in the gospel itself. And so this was a, a staple of, uh, of basically of mainline Protestantism. This is a, a, a significant piece of how mainline Protestantism went from being at, at some level, you know, a faithful representation of the gospel as found in scripture to now in many cases a complete denial in many ways of the gospel found in scripture. Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the the sort of sense was that by doing these good deeds, by uh, uh, caring for others, we are through our good deeds giving them the gospel. Yeah, yeah. At 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 its best, that's probably the most generous reading of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there was also a piece of that that there was. In my mind, I don't know if you would agree with this. You're, you're our resident church history professor here. <laughs> but um, it's hard for me not to see this as a response to modernity and an enlightenment thinking that was, let's ignore the spiritual piece of things. What are the practical real-world benefits? Like, I, Sure. So let's strip out the, the, the miraculous pieces of the Bible, and let's 
focus on the things like love other people. Well, that'll that'll translate. We don't we don't need some resurrection from the dead. We don't need some virgin birth. All that sort of kind of pie in the sky theoretical theology stuff. But you can tell people to love their neighbor, and that'll preach, and that goes across, you know, different theological and philosophical commitments. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and is more culturally acceptable. And it's absolutely more culturally acceptable. Um, but uh, an- another piece where I think about uh, church history in a more positive light is uh, early church, mm-hmm. uh, first second century. Um, the uh, when a when a when an illness or a sickness or a plague or a pandemic <laughs> would come to a particular town, uh, the way that everybody dealt with it to, to not catch it is to just run for the hills. The sick would stay in the city, the sick would pass away, um, and the people would move back. Uh, the Christians of that day would stay there with um, with the sick and the dying, sometimes dying themselves, sometimes yep. nursing them to health. Yep. Uh, and uh, people saw this as radical love and wanted to know more. And it ended up being a phenomenal witness about mm-hmm. how uh, they can care for others yeah. and, and, and how they can, uh, and it eventually brought people into the church. Uh, people right. would repent of their sin and, and come to know Jesus. Yeah. And, and another piece of that was on another issue, not even just on the sort of the, the sickness pandemic thing. Um, it was a common practice in the first and second century. If you, you know, had a baby and didn't end up wanting it, you just exposed it to the elements and waited for the baby to die. Well, the early Christians would take those babies in and yep. raise them as a as a you know expression of their love and the and their belief in the value of every human life. And that and was also one of those things that the culture around them said, "What are you doing? Yeah, why are you doing that? That that's just unheard of. That you're you're willingly taking what is not wanted, mm-hmm. what is considered discardable life." And you're taking these children in and raising them and and caring for them. That that was just unheard of in the Roman Empire. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that practice was called in, infanticide. Is that infanticide? Infanticide. There it is. Um, yeah, and that was an incredibly positive witness. Mm-hmm. Um, of Absolutely. The Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, which which thesis conversation point do we do we want to go to next here? Why don't we do five and six together? Because as we discussed, it's uh, I think they're uh, necess- kind of necessarily related. Okay, so number five is we must prioritize proclamation of the gospel without neglecting social action, and six, uh, we must realize that our actions are not self-interpreting. Yeah. So. Again, what do you mean in there? This gets back to the earlier point of what God has commissioned the church to do is to make disciples. And that involves the proclamation of the gospel and the discipling of those who come to faith in Jesus in what it means to live as faithful followers of Jesus. And so the priority must be on the proclamation of the gospel. And yet, Sometimes that can be taken in such a narrow way of, well, we got someone saved, and now it's just sort of, well, just hold on until Jesus comes back and watch the world burn kind of thing. Yeah. And that, that's, not a picture, that's not the picture the New Testament lays out. Mm-hmm. But the priority has to remain on the, um, the verbal proclamation of the gospel. That's the foundation point. Now, beyond that, um, the, the, the point about our actions are not self-interpreting. 
Sometimes, and you've, you, I know you've heard this expression uh, that's thrown around sometimes, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Yeah, it's always attributed to, uh, oh, goodness, what's... Um, it's Francis of Assisi, isn't Francis, it? Francis of Assisi. But he, uh, <laughs> I believe he never, like it's, we, he never actually said that. Or never said it exactly like that. Yeah. Like there's, I think there's things that you can look at and go, well, he kind of, kind of is saying that, but it's not that crystal clear in any case. Um, you want to start attacking that, <laughs> picking apart that expression, or um, that preach the gospel, use words, if use necessary. words if necessary. Yeah, sort of, sort of the idea being that um, we do good to others, and they will kind of the social gospel idea, right? We yeah. we do good to others, and they'll intuitively understand the gospel. Um, I I don't I. I just don't think that happens. I, th- I think no. we must use words. Yeah. Um, they they must be persuasive words, and they must yeah. be well thought out and developed words as well. It just can't. It, you know, um, I'm gonna get killed for this, uh, but I really don't like the movie God's Not Dead, just simply from the title. <laughs> we need um, we need bumper music for a hot take alert right now. Yeah, goodness. <laughs> so the, the it comes from Richard Dawkins, right? Yeah. Richard Dawkins put on the side of buses in Cambridge. Yeah. God is dead, right? Um, And they're incredibly well-developed responses. No, he's not, you know? Um, (laughs) So so I I think they have to be... I think our words and preaching of the gospel have to be well-developed, well-thought. Anything you'd add to the actions are not self-interpreting? Yes. I think that um, it's necessary... I I would put it this way. The, The kind of good works that we're talking about. So me being a good neighbor and shoveling the snow out of my neighbor's driveway or raking his leaves in and of itself, that action doesn't say anything about the why of what I'm doing. I could just be a nice guy or I could be doing it for very, very selfish reasons. Maybe I'm doing it because I think that'll earn my salvation, but regardless or just increase your property value right you know like my neighbor has no definitive way of knowing why i'm doing that sure and so unless unless there's some way that i have to be able to explain or articulate that then it's not really a form of articulating and it's not really a form of sharing the gospel i think when it comes to those kinds of actions those kinds of actions can do primarily two things. They can create a opportunity or a platform. It can gain you an audience, yeah. For the verbal proclamation of the gospel. Absolutely. Or it can, um, as, as, second, uh, as Titus 2 talks about, adorn the gospel through your good works. It can reflect well on what is already known. Mm-hmm. He claims to be a Christian. Oh, look at that. He's doing something that is consistent with what I think a Christian might do. So, but it all depends on the other person under connecting that to a profession of faith in Jesus. And so actions are not self-interpreting. Yeah. And, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd also mention on that when we, when we say social action, we're talking about, we're talking about going and, and doing something, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shoveling somebody's driveway, you know, uh, 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 carrying for somebody in, in the park or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, feeding the poor. Uh, we're not talking about a social media post or, you, yeah. you, you know, any, anything like that. Because <laughs> right. it, it feels like today that passes for social action. 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that's that's all I'll say is <laughs> I, I don't think that passes for sexual. I'll talk about one thing I like. There's a book I'm reading right yeah. now that yeah. is very much that. But um, yeah. go. I can't remember which one, which thesis we picked next. Number seven. Like? And Number seven. We just need to hit this briefly because we're running out of we're time. We're running out of time. But uh, number seven is we must recognize the trend towards increasing social action and decreasing evangelism within the church. Yeah. So, so there's a sense of um, I'm going to do good but not verbally preach the gospel. Right. Yes. And um, I, I do this. I use this illustration all the time in class. Um, so I'll, I'll say if I were to ask you to get a group of 30 people together to, to, to these students say, okay, you need to gather a group of 30 people in order to go out and do some form of evangelism, whether it's going up to people in the mall or in the park or something like that, something that is a sort of taking initiative, not, not relationship evangelism, but mm-hmm. going up to people you don't know and initiating an evangelistic conversation. How many of you think you could gather a group of 30 people to go out and do that? Almost no one. Almost no one. Yeah. But then if I say, how many of you th- think you could gather a group of 30 people to sometime in late October go and rake leaves for people who can't rake the leaves out of their yard? And so you're doing this you know, kind of nice gesture. How many of you think you could gather 30 people to do that? Oh, yeah, I could totally get 30 people to do that. Yeah. And, and, and so part of the point I'm making is that it is there's this trend towards this kind of social action as a um, as a way out of doing verbal proclamation of the gospel, and that also ties into what is considered culturally acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. The culture will look at us and go, "Wow, that's really great that that group of Grace College students is raking people's leaves who can't do it. That's great." Yeah, which is a good thing, it right? It's a great right? thing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Those are, those are not, things we should be involved not, with. Absolutely, I'm not, I'm not denigrating doing yeah. that, but. If if we gathered a group of thirty Grace College students to go to parks and malls and such to do initiative evangelism, the culture's not going to be like that's so great. They're uh, proselytizing. They're yeah. proselytizing. <laughs> they're shoving their religion down other people's throats. That's great. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So I think we just need to be aware of that kind of cultural dynamic of it, is that part of the motivation for certain things we do? The culture will applaud. Versus not doing things that the culture will reject or is hostile towards. Yeah, no, no, that's a that's a good point, and I think that that your example bears out on on our campus. With uh, in, in the past, we've had groups that are gathering together to go do evangelism in you know Glenbrook Mall in Fort Wayne or, or mm-hmm. whatever it would be. Look at three, four people that'll be a part of that group, but you know other groups to go work with children with disabilities or whatever, which mm-hmm. is excellent. An yeah. excellent thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, they get 10, 20, 30, 40 people to, yeah. to, to go do that. Definitely. So Let's hit um, a couple of resources here. we gotta, we got to land yeah, the plane here. We will post these, uh, yes. these on uh, On Facebook. Facebook. Um, and I don't know. Probably Wednesday we'll, morning. Yeah. We'll have to figure something out in terms of, I don't know if there's a way we can do that on Twitter that would be Twitter. We, we can link the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So in any case, resources. I wanted to mention one that I forgot in the previous episode by Patrick Schreiner. It's called The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross. It is a really short but helpful introduction to the kingdom of God. 
that in fact would probably be my first go-to book and i'm I, i'm i'm mad at myself for forgetting that last episode so that would be the first he's one. a bit he's a bit of up and an up-and-comer in new testament studies he as is. well he's yep. a good he's dude got to keep your eye on yep um uh, we also uh, have uh, d.a carson's uh, christ and culture revisited mm-hmm. um, which is an update who, who wrote the in- niebuhr niebuhr um back in like the 1950s yeah so d.a carson updated that um phenomenal resource that's a little deeper dive than uh, the Kingdom of God book by Patrick Schreiner. Those yeah. are pretty different levels there. Yeah, uh, agreed. Anything that D.A. Carson does it can, be, can be a little deeper dive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have uh, our own uh, Dr. John T. Van, uh, Integrated Justice and Equality. Uh, I have not read that book. Have mm-hmm. you? I have. Um, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I enjoy my conversations with him. He's He's got an interesting background. I mean, he undergrad— does. Princeton, yep. I believe, in economics. Yeah. Uh, got his MDiv here. Mm-hmm. And and that book has a little bit more of an economic focus hmm. um, in terms of thinking about what has come to be called social justice issues. So, And then lastly, uh, this is a bit of a classic, is uh, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert, When Helping Hurts, which is a good uh, book on how oftentimes our best-intentioned efforts, what we think is going to help, actually causes more damage in the, in, in the context. And so thinking through what are actually good, helpful ways to uh, help others. So Yeah, absolutely. We'll put those uh, – we, we'll have those in the show notes there. Uh, athlete. Um, 27 is – There's not a lot to pick from. It's a thin number. It is. I was surprised when I did the prep for this. So uh, two names really s- yeah. stick out. Um, one is uh, the current MLB uh, superstar, probably. Golden boy, yeah. Yeah, I, probably the best MLB player by by good margin right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Trout um, from New Jersey plays in L.A. Uh, quite, quite good. Yeah, um, he's putting up crazy numbers. And- however— not media friendly. He does not do a good job of interacting with the media. No, no. And uh, our, our other option is uh, Ohio State and Tennessee Titan legend Eddie George, running back. Yeah. Who put up uh, crazy numbers at Ohio State, won the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. And I remember one particular game where he ran for, I think the number was 327 yards against Illinois. Just absolutely tore him up. Yeah. And um, had a great career in the NFL. I think he rushed for over 10,000 yards. Yeah, and uh, he was with the Tennessee Titans when I was living in Tennessee. So I got to watch a lot of Eddie George. And he was he was fun to watch. Um, mm-hmm. I particularly remember him going against Ray Lewis. Yep. And just... I mean, just yelling at each other in one another in one another's faces. I mean, yeah. that was it was a it was a lot of fun to watch. And I remember they would bring nine guys into the box and still <laughs> hand the ball off to Eddie. Yeah, he took a beating. He took an absolute beating. But despite that, his after football career is reasonably interesting. Yeah, he's acted on Broadway. I mean, he's he's a bit of a, a Renaissance man in that yeah. sense of. Of having a little second career, and not that he's like this huge Broadway star or anything, but you know, they're not just throwing anybody up there on Broadway musicals. So yeah, I think. yeah. Well, as as much as I don't want to go with two Ohio State players in a <laughs> row, um, which will get me some hate, for, I'm sure. Uh, From who? Oh, who's who's going to give you hate? Oh come on, uh, probably Nate in Ohio. He's going to um, love that pick. 
As, well, yes, he will love that pick. But the, what I just said, that I struggle to pick two Ohio State players in a row, he's not going <laughs> to like that. Right. Um, well, your, your father-in-law may not like that comment. He may not like that comment. Um, <laughs> if it was anybody other than Eddie, I think I'd protest a little bit more. But I'm okay going Eddie Yeah, George. we got to go with Eddie George. Okay. One thing you liked. Yeah, so uh, my one thing comes with a trigger warning. Uh, I've been <laughs> I've been reading a, uh, a, a book called The Circle. Um, recently, uh, and it has some explicit content in there, so that's that's the trigger warning uh, piece. But it is a it is a book about a social media company, kind of a kind of shoving Facebook, Google, and Apple sort of uh, sort of all in the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about privacy and and all these things. The first half to three quarters is a bit of a slog as they build this world. Okay. Uh, but the last quarter that I'm in currently has been has been really interesting, uh, and it's uh, it's called The Circle. They made a movie about it. Uh, the movie did not do well, but mm-hmm. it, but it had had Emma Watson, Tom Hanks, John Boyega, Karen Gillum. Uh, I mean, just wow. just star on star on star. But but it has like three stars on Amazon. Yeah. So okay, how about you? Yeah. So for me, um, we have had the privilege of hosting uh, a good friend in uh in our home starting uh this past evening and she will be staying for a few days um ashley house now are you because we're recording on thursday are you looking into the future no she's here now she's here on thursday yeah she's here she spent the evening in our home last night and she was uh, she's a grace grad and she is serving on the mission field we can't mention where but um, she's doing great things for the Lord in that context, and we haven't seen her in a, in, a, in a while. And so she she was one of the she was the very first student who lived in our basement, and so she is the original cave dweller. Nice, yeah. And there's some fun stories describing oh, her first so many. first few nights in that house. So, so many. But uh, that's my one thing I liked. It's been great to to catch up with her and see what God is doing in and through her in 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 that ministry context. So, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well. We didn't quite get under 50 minutes. We're we're right at 50, so... We did what we could. We We, had a lot to cover. There's a lot of ground. So uh, for next episode, go ahead and read the next um, eight chapters in Gentle and Lowly, and that'll kind of serve as the basis. But I think I'm ready to say mission accomplished. Are you? I am. Okay, let's do it. So until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.